One of the uh, greatest times of the year for me as a pastor, uh, dealing with the subject of uh, restoration and the book of Philippians, and we have been uh, on this journey for quite some time now, and this is the next to the last uh, sermon in the series. Next week, we'll be concluding the book of Philippians. But one of the things that comes to my mind, an exciting time of the year for me, is when I receive thank you notes from those who have received academic scholarships from the church. And I receive handwritten notes from students that have received scholarships from Evangel Temple to go and to be part of our schools. And, and um, it's great to get that handwritten note and to be able to read them to the church board, uh, expressing the gratitude from a student's heart. But yet at the same time, when I read those notes, I can visualize a parent that has been after that student for days and weeks get that note written to the church. If you want to be appreciated, get the note written. And the note may only be one or two lines, but yet it is an expression of thanksgiving. Now, I want you to know that it happened to me yesterday. When I got home, the mail had arrived to the house. And on the top of my stack that Lil had sorted out, there was a handwritten letter, a note. And I'm excited when I see on my stack of mail something that somebody personally has written out, the art of a postage stamp, the feel of the paper, the sight of a friend or family member's handwriting, there's simply nothing as personal as handwritten notes. In a stack of bills and flyers, it's like a treasure in a sealed packet full of promises and potential. It's a reminder to me of someone that has taken time to write. You see, good manners are an opportunity for us to connect to people in our lives in a meaningful way. We are living in an increasingly informal digital world. And to pull out a pen and paper is a way to distinguish yourself. At least I was taught that. By the production manager of the Press Gazette of Green Bay, Wisconsin, when I was a young a uh, minister, a businessman in the church said, Charlie, if you want to be successful in life, he said, always carry, and I'm looking for it right now, a pen. He said, always have a pen in your pocket. And he said, the other thing is take time to write notes and to say thank you because you will distinguish yourself by doing so. And many of you have said, and you were surprised that, hey, I got a handwritten note from you. And then today, it seems like um, in the world of hiring individuals and in the world of um, the digital world, it seems like companies are looking for people that have that digital savvy. But yet, let's think about handwritten thank you notes that speak volumes. It sends the message that you or I care enough to invest in a person's life. Sometimes it's through a card. Sometimes it's, it's through just a, a note on a card. A digital thank you for me is great, 
but sometimes it's just not enough, not personal enough, not weighty enough. You can't hold digital thank you notes in your hand in the way that you can hold a note. Email is read and it's often deleted. If you go and look at my desktop right now, you may find a thank you note standing up on it that's three months old. It's a way of encouragement just to go and look. And as I say, a mailed note is seen again and again on the desk or the countertop. Would you rather your thanks be remembered or deleted? Now, what am I getting at today? Well, first of all, let me tell you, there's two common excuses from what I understand that people don't write thank you notes or write a note period. The biggest excuse is not having the material at hand. A note card, a stationary, and by the way, many of you have stationary that reflects your personality. That's another great thing. A roll of stamps, a pen, or some of you have never heard of an address book. And all of those things seem inconvenient today, but it only takes one trip to the store and you're all set. The second excuse is not having time. A handwritten thanks is often just three short sentences, just like email, and it's good to do. Well, why am I telling you this? Is this a course today on writing notes? No, it's not. I am preparing you because we are entering a section of the scripture in which the apostle Paul expresses thanksgiving to the missionaries or the supporters for their monetary gift that the Philippians have sent to meet his missionary needs while he was there in prison in Rome. He continues with the words of gratitude today in the passage that we will be looking at. And in these verses, let me just give you a heads up. I hope that we're going to learn some information, interesting information concerning the Apostle Paul and his relationship with the church at Philippi. So we'll start in the fourth chapter of Philippians, and we will look at verses 14 through 19. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to read along, look along with me. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Remember, Paul is writing this out. He has no computer, and he has uh, no text. He's handwriting this, and probably much more difficult than it is for you and I to write today. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the manner of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me in more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, which I desire is that more be credited to your account. That's what I desire. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. This is a very interesting thank you note. 
We start here with the 14th verse, and the 14th verse says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. This verse indicates that Paul saw the Philippian support of his work as sharing in his troubles. Their gift was an indication that they were sharing with Paul in his challenges. And by giving to help achieve and to help overcome his lack, the Philippian church participated in his own poverty and suffering for Christ in this world. And this was remarkable as I read this text because they're joining in with Paul's challenges and not only are they joining with the challenges, but they're probably adding more trouble to their own plate and their own challenges. Because we must reflect back upon the earlier part of Paul's letter in Philippians, the first chapter, in verses 29 and 30. And we have addressed this text, but it says there, as Paul wrote to them, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And since you are going through the same struggles you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have, Paul could count on the Philippian church through thick and thin. He could count on them for their support. When we move ahead into verse number 15, we read, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. A thank you note of giving this church credit that they jumped in and they helped him. And we learn that the Philippians were enthusiastic about, about Paul's ministry from the very start. From the moment that they met, they were always willing, it appears, to give generously to the work of the gospel through the Apostle Paul. And this is what Paul means when he says that the Philippians were the only believers that partnered with him since the beginning of the gospel. From the moment that Paul established the Philippian church through preaching the good news to believers in that city, these individuals were there for him. This partnership was remarkable because Philippi was a pretty small city in Macedonia. In verse number 16, Paul moves on to say, For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Now, there were more significant imperial cities to which Paul ministered to in Macedonia, but none of them. Not even the wealthiest city, the city of Thessalonica, stepped up to the plate and showed the same excitement, the same enthusiasm that this little church of believers in Philippi showed. Today's passage already indicates to us the importance of friendship, especially in ancient times. When I was a kid, my mother used to sing a song and of course, I didn't pay much attention to it, but I realized that later in life that this song was written by a gentleman called Harry Woods. And Harry Woods claims that he practiced songwriting as a sideline. And he wrote many of the 1920 songs. And interestingly, 
the songs that he wrote included when the red, red robin comes bob, bob, bobbing along. Now, I don't know if that's a worship song. Um, I don't think it is, but uh, my mother didn't sing that song. He also wrote a song called I'm Looking Over a Four-Leaf Clover. And another song that was titled that he wrote is Try a Little Tenderness. And he composed these songs despite the fact that he didn't have fingers on his left hand. So the song that my mother used to sing around the house was a song that he wrote. The title of it was Side by Side. Oh, we ain't got a barrel of money. Maybe we're ragged and funny, but we're traveling along. We're singing a song side by side. I don't know what's coming tomorrow. Maybe it's trouble and sorrow, but we're traveling the road. We're sharing our load side by side. Through all kinds of weather, what if the sky should fall? Just as long as we're together, it really doesn't matter at all. When they've all had their quarrels and parted, we'll be the same as we started, just traveling along, singing a song side by side. Now the choir has this week off, but maybe Sharon can take this song and run with it. The point is, my mother used to sing this because we didn't have a whole lot, and she tried to get a message to me that, hey, as long as you're my son, and I'm a single parent, and I'm taking care of you, and we're side by side, we're going to make it through all of this. And Paul in the Philippian church, obviously, this text indicates that they traveled side by side. They were there. Paul needed the gifts from his friend. He sought help from the Philippians, not as an end in itself, but he actually seeks help from them so the Philippians can get a greater reward from God for investing in the work of the kingdom. Let's go on to verse number 17. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. That is exciting when there's credit given to your account. This week I received a telephone call from a lady in the congregation. And she said, Pastor, $4,000 has been put in my account. And it was like, where did this come from? She did not know, didn't uh, realize or understand that the deposit was made and that we gave some initials. So naturally, I'm telling her, now you be very careful with this. Let's look it through. Well, she called me later in the week and said, hey, I discovered this is my money. It was put into my account because some other account closed out. It's exciting when money, when things go into our account, and Paul desires to have the Philippians get a blessing by giving to his work, and it's an illustration of what we should think when faithful missionaries, when construction projects out of this church and ministries ask for our support. And you are so faithful in doing that. And when gospel preaching ministries, faithful Christian colleges, and so forth, request support, and most are legitimate in sharing their needs with us, 
It gives us the opportunity and a chance to bless. It gives us the opportunity to enter in and support the kingdom of God. I recall a few months ago when I introduced to you a Cuban pastor who was attempting to build a church at his home in Cuba. The cost of it was about 14000 and by the end of the week, 16000 had been given by this congregation. And we are still giving that money out slowly as it is needed. So we receive lessons today from the Apostle Paul. The first big lesson that I see is giving sacrificially puts credit into your account in heaven. I mean, when we look at verses 15 through 17, Paul writes that the Philippian church's gift has brought Paul joy, not because of its personal material benefit for him, but because of the spiritual benefit to that small group of believers. The principle that those who give generously will be blessed, it's taught repeatedly throughout the scripture. And I'm sure that the Apostle Paul was aware of these Old Testament scriptures where Solomon wrote in Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A general, generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. In Proverbs, a little later, it's written in the 19th chapter, in verse 17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Proverbs 22, verse 9. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Proverbs 28, 27, those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. And I love the words of Jesus Christ when he said in the book of Luke, the sixth chapter and verse number 38, where Christ says, give and it'll be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For what measure you use, it'll be measured to you. We as a church are reaping benefits because of the seventy-five dollars to $100,000 that we invest in the inner city work of the campus of Embassy of Hope. The next series that I am presently studying and wanting to do is that on analyzing soil samples. In other words, we are going to look at the fact that the seed doesn't always fall on fertile ground and look at the indication of the text there. Because most farmers know a lot about sowing. They know a lot about reaping. I was recently in a care center in Wassa, Wisconsin, visiting one of our relatives who had hundreds of acres of farmland in Athens, Wisconsin. He has sold that land to a farmer who plants. A farmer acquires the land and goes out and purchases seeds. The farmer tills the ground and plants. The farmer will work long days, long hours preparing the soil, and he makes his money and he 
takes it and invests it in seeds. He then takes that investment in the seeds and he plants the seeds. If a drought comes along, the farmer must ensure the seeds still have plenty of moisture, a challenge. And when the plants sprout, the farmer has to protect the plants, those small plants from animals and pests to ensure that they, they grow to their, their fullest ability. And after all of this hard work, after all of this sacrifice, the farmer finally is able, hopefully, to reap a crop. And like the farmer, the followers of Jesus Christ, you and I must also sow and we must invest what we have. And when we invest in the kingdom of God, it's a credit. It's a credit to us with God. And of course, we don't earn our way to heaven. Please understand the Apostle Paul is writing here to a group of Christians. And this is not what he means. He is speaking to those who have already received the gift of salvation. And Paul is speaking to the believers in Philippi who have a generous heart and they give out of their poverty. They're supporting him. And the, and the Philippian church practiced sacrificial giving, putting credit into their spiritual accounts in heaven. That's what Paul calls it. I'm grateful for the practice of sacrificial giving here at Evangel Temple. I am very pleased and I thank God that I can tell you this morning that in the last 18 months, this congregation has paid down 11% of our debt. We have paid down $361,000 and add to that another $857 that somebody here might have given. And that involves and includes payments, extra payments towards our principal of $163,000. I thank God for that. That's something that we can praise him for the sacrificial giving. Some have asked, when will we return to the sanctuary? Because we are now in a yellow phase. This week, twice, I have met with the health department. The first time, the uh, statement was made to me that social distancing is still required within the ranks of the church. Second time, no, it's recommended now. There's a difference, but... The church is still what they call an enhanced risk. I guess when you sing, you may spit on somebody or you may, you know, spread some germs. And for some of you, you know, that's frustrating. And for others of you, you appreciate those cautious ways. For we as a church, I can only tell you that it will probably be another month before we get into the sanctuary. The reason being is that this week, $32,000 was authorized to our tech team to purchase equipment so we can continue to live stream in the sanctuary. Now, while we've got cameras, we bought $20,000 of equipment for this room. Well, the cameras that we have would uh, result in us removing about six pews for platforms for the cameras. One thing I did learn when I came here 25 years ago was don't mess with the integrity of the sanctuary. It's a holy place, but it's a place where we have to get people in and we can't afford to give up six pews for tech equipment. So now we are purchasing remote cameras 
We are putting new lighting in. Some of this you may not even notice, and that's good, but it will help our live streaming. And by the way, I heard it again this week from a family from St. Louis who said that they watch multiple church services and Evangel Temple has some of the best technology. Thank you to these guys in the back. God bless you. Amen. Yes. <clears throat> and I can hear the applause of the live streamers right now as well. But thank you for the work that you do. But most of all, thank you for your sacrificial giving that we are able to take $32,000 and invest in remote equipment. Also, I want to tell you that the month of March was the highest giving at Evangel Temple almost in the history of the church other than 2015. In 2015, we had a giant capital campaign. In the month of March, $109,000 was given by you through sacrificial giving. In 2015, there was 110,000 given. That was during a capital campaign. So you and I may have very little. You know, we may be traveling side by side. We may not have a barrel of money, but the amount of gifts that we give does not necessarily matter to God. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves someone and God recognizes those who give out of poverty. We see that here. Paul established that sacrificial giving gives credit in our heavenly account. Quickly, the second thing as I look at these closing texts in the book of Philippians is that Paul teaches that given sacrificially is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice that is pleasing to God, pleasing to God. Verse number 18, I have received full payment and I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Ephroditus. Remember, he was the caretaker that was sent to Paul's side and the gifts that he brought with him. They are a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice, which is pleasing to God. Paul uses some Old Testament terms here and he describes the sacrificial gift that's given by the Philippian church. Quick reminder, I remind you of Genesis, the eighth chapter, where it says Noah built an art in uh, an altar unto the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed a burnt offering on it. And it says that the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said it in his heart, never again will I curse the ground. We find also in Exodus in the, in the 29th chapter, in the 18th verse, it says, then burn the entire ram on the altar, a burnt offering to the Lord. It's a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. In Leviticus, the 19th chapter, when you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. Psalm 51 the 19th verse, then you will delight in the sacrifice of the righteous in burnt offerings, offering whole, then bulls will be offered on your altar. So here we find that Paul draws from some Old Testament terms. Real estate is pretty hot right now in our area, if you haven't noticed that. Boy, I was impressed the other day when I got a handwritten note from a realtor who said, we have people interested in your home. 
let me know what I can do to sell it. Well, if you give me $160 a square foot, maybe I can replace it. You know, that's the hard part. But it was handwritten. I read that realtors say that people look on the average at 10 homes before they buy. That may not be you. They look on the average of 10 weeks. So the important thing is to make your house smell good. And to do that, you need to bake some cookies. And if you bake cookies, people walk in and man, this place smells just like home, you know. And if you don't have cookies, if you're part of this digital age and you don't do cookies, you can drop a little vanilla in the oven, preheat it, and turn it off, and it'll smell like you baked something without even baking. The big thing is don't cook fish, all right? Because that could be a turnoff. And bonus points, if you're gonna do cookies and you leave while the realtor's showing your house, put some out there and let the people eat them up and put some crumbs around your place. Well, maybe you don't eat cookies. Maybe that's a turnoff to you. Yesterday, I was at an auto auction in Branson, Missouri, and I went out into the foyer, and it got me again. It just, I was overcome. I had to do it. Had to purchase a bucket full of popcorn because that buttery smell just filled the room. And uh, movie theaters and other vendors know this, and they make sure that they keep the corn popping when there's a crowd. Even if you're just eating lunch, some of you right now are saying, man, I could go for a bucket of popcorn. And smelling and eating freshly popped, butterly popcorn pleases people. And maybe that's not for you. Maybe you're a pizza person or whatever. But we know that the fresh aroma of our favorite thing can grab our stomach and our heart. But if the popcorn is cooked too long, or if the cookies are cooked too long, they burn, and then the place can stink. So then you've really got some problems. That's when you take out your breeze or whatever they call that and spray it around the place. But Paul saw this Philippian church gift as a sacrifice of worship, such a spiritual sacrifice that it was like required in the Old Testament, but now instead no animals are needed. Jesus Christ gave his life. Romans 12, the first chapter, says, the Apostle Paul wrote, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you and I would present our bodies as living sacrifices, which shall be holy and acceptable unto the Lord. Paul's joy was that the Philippians would make such an acceptable sacrifice to God far surpasses the joy that he received in, in getting their gift. God sees a cheerful giver. You and I, who sacrificially gives as a fragrant offering, an acceptable offering. So we've established this morning that Paul tells us that our giving puts credit into our heavenly account. Our giving is a fragrant offering. And finally, giving sacrificially allows God to meet our needs according to his riches and glory. We see that in verse number 19, our final verse. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. We thank God for his faithfulness to each one of us.
to those of you that give, you have put this to practice and you know the blessings upon your life. Sacrificial giving is like a key to a treasure chest in the kingdom of heaven. You can read about that in Matthew, the 13th chapter, where it speaks about a man finding a great field and he went out and sold all that he had or the person who found some pearls and sold what they had. Jesus Christ is wanting to bless each one of us. And I challenge you today to continue to give sacrificially to God. Give of your money, your time, your resources, your life that you can never, never outgive God. A fragrant offering is an acceptable offering to our Lord. Father, we thank you. We thank you today, Lord, that you died on the cross. And we thank you for the reminder that you have risen. That you died for each one of us that we might be forgiven. That we might receive eternal life and become children of God. And we come to you today as the head over this church. We put our finances, we put our life on the altar of your service. We ask that you, Lord, would show us the place that you would want us to be involved in. We give ourselves to you without reservation. And from this day forward, our funds, our lives belong to you. And Lord, we'll go where you tell us to go. We'll do what you want us to do. We'll say what you want us to say. And we thank you, Lord, for receiving each one of us as we come to you through your wonderful name. We thank you that you are our Savior. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this as a benediction today.